Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. I'm going to keep talking about Romans here, and especially Romans 9 through the end of chapter 11, which is this very difficult, very controversial, uh, I'm going to call it a passage, it's three chapters, but it is one passage, it's one complete thought, one complete argument. We've been talking about it the last few weeks, and what we're what I've been saying is that um, Paul is trying to explain something here. He's trying to do three things, three things I've highlighted. He's explaining that God's word has not failed when it comes to the first century um, rejection of Christ by the Israelite people, by the Jewish people, by and large. Uh, They haven't totally rejected him. There's lots of Jews who've come to Christ, but as a people, they haven't all come. So what's going on there? Does this mean that God's word has failed? No. He does want to explain that a partial hardening has come upon Israel while the Gentiles come in, and that's uh, verse 25 of chapter 11. I, this is what I think Paul is doing. He he explains the whole point of his argument here by saying, I want you to understand this mystery. So what, what is a mystery? A mystery isn't a whodunit. It's not how did this person die. In Greek, in the scriptures, a mysterion, that's the Greek word, is a secret divine truth now revealed. It's the counsels of God that people did not know for a long time, but now has been revealed so that people can talk about it. That's what a mystery is. That's what that word means. Mysterion is like the secret counsels of God revealed. And so Paul is saying, here are the secret purposes of God that in Christ and in the gospel have been revealed, and I want you to understand them. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant anymore of what's going on. And then he explains this mystery, this divine truth now revealed that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he ends this whole passage with um, a great God-glorifying section of praise and worship. So these are the three main points. To defend the word of God, to explain the hardening of Israel until the right time, and to lift up God and his wisdom, and his plan, and his abilities over all human wisdom, and all human abilities, and all human judgment, okay? And it's good to remember that, because as we um, start into verse 6 here, Paul is going to say that he's about defending the Word of God, and he's also going to begin saying things that often provoke human judgment over God. So this section here, um, from verse 6 of chapter 9 through to the end of 29, that's how I understand it, is one complete argument about God ruling over in Israel in a certain way, and, and especially trying to prove that God's word is not being broken, his promise is not being broken. Now, this whole section is about that. As, as I understand it, um, he's going to say the, the reason why um, Israel has, is not coming en masse and the Gentiles are coming en masse is not because God's word has failed, but because his word is being fulfilled and he, he's in control and um, Israel is not coming to faith in Christ and is choosing something else. And so there's kind of a two-part complementary answer, a divine answer and a human answer that work together. So verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God had failed, has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham 
because they are his offspring, but through Isaac your offspring are named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, excuse me, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, loved, but Esau I hated. So we'll just start here. And um, like I'm saying, that we're going to cover this section in a few weeks, but what is going on here? Um... Paul was just talking about his incredible burden for the Jewish people to be saved and their incredible privilege in life that to them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, the patriarchs, and their race is the one which Christ has come from. So they have all these benefits, all these privileges, all these promises, but they're not coming on mass. What's going on? And so the first thing he says is, it's not as though the word of God has failed. So it's not as though God's promises fail here. It's not as though his word is broken. It's not as though God is incompetent or not in control. Don't go there. And he says, if you do go there and you just say, well, the reason they're not coming is because God can't make these things happen. Then all of a sudden, your confidence in Christ is hindered because if God isn't being Uh, God for the Israelites and something's able to come in and wreck things, then obviously something can come in and wreck your faith in Christ. Obviously something can can steal you away. Obviously um, you're not safe and secure. If it could fail for Israel, it can fail for you. And so he says, God's word has not failed. We need to believe in God's word. And so he wants us to understand what God's word is actually accomplishing. And so he takes us back to the initial days of the faith, um, talking about, he's going to start with Abraham, and then he's going to talk about Isaac, and then he's going to talk about Jacob. And remember, Israel is Jacob's other name. God was um, renamed Jacob Israel after they wrestled before Jacob went back and found Esau. And so that kind of helps us understand why is he talking about the patriarchs. Now, I just mentioned that the patriarchs belong to Israel, but he's going to say, um, look, let's not say the word of God failed with what's going on here. Let's remember that the God who gave us this word was doing things even since the patriarchs that look strange to us. So let's figure that out. So what he's going to answer the question is this, did God's word with the patriarchs come to them, but then be fulfilled in a way that was a surprise or that showed that God was in control of how his word is being fulfilled and not just biology, chance, human history, or human choosing exclusively, okay? All, of course, all those things are in play there, but was there ever a time when God's word was actually fulfilled by God um, doing something, by God choosing and not just by human history or human choices. And that, that's the question. Because if um, because one of the things he's trying to prove here is that God is actually fulfilling his word through what's going on with Israel, not that his word is, being, is failing through what's going on with Israel and the gospel in the first century. So he says, um, it's not as though all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's one of the most controversial 
sentences in the New Testament. Not everybody who's Israel is Israel. What? What? What are you talking about? Of course everybody who's Israel is Israel, right? Isn't it about descendants? Isn't that what Genesis does? Is it, is it traces descendants? Isn't that what Chronicles does? It traces descendants? Isn't everybody who's Israel Israel? Well, no. Not everybody who descends from Abraham is a descendant of Abraham. Not everybody who is a physical descendant of Israel is a true descendant of Israel. And so this is one of the things that's super controversial as he fleshes it out. But what he's saying here is that God has this way of revealing who Israel is, even in the early days of the patriarchs. And it's going to depend on his activity and his promises, not just uh, accidents of history, not just flesh and blood, not human effort. These are the things he's tackling here. So he goes to Abraham and he says, you know, Abraham had a lot of kids. He had uh, a child with Hagar. He also had another wife named Keturah, and he had other concubines, the scripture tells us, and he had lots of kids with them, and the scripture tells us in Genesis that he would send them away with gifts when they got older, but there was only one child who was the son of promise, that God says this is the one that is going to uh, carry on the the family line, the family faith line, and that was Isaac. And this was this impossible child. This was this child that was born to a woman who was well past uh, fertility. This was this child that should not have happened, could not have happened, except God said, I'm going to do it. And so he, right off the bat, um, Paul is trying to say God fulfills his word the way God fulfills his word. And he does it supernaturally depending on his own activity, not just flesh and blood. And so there's this contrast here where he's, he's trying to say, look, when it comes to God fulfilling his word, we need to see how God fulfills his word. We don't judge the faithfulness of God's word just by our own human standard. We look to God and say, this is how God fulfills his word. So not every single child of Abraham was a quote unquote child of Abraham. There's something going on here. And let's look and see that, first of all, it was the one that God made miraculously, which was the true child. Now, just as a side note, I'm not sure exactly about the salvations of any of these children that Abraham had or the faith they had or anything. I'm not making comment about that. I don't think Paul's necessarily making comment on that, but he's saying, look how God um, fulfilled his kind of promise of a lineage of of faith here, and it was by miracle, and it was by divine intervention, and it was by God's own choosing, his own election. And then he goes to the next generation here, there, and he says, um, he says, look at Rebecca, okay? So Abraham, this was his situation. It was the miracle child that God made in Isaac that was the one that God chose to be kind of the father of the faith and the next patriarch. Not every single son became a patriarch. So what about the next generation? What about Isaac's kids? Well, Paul says it happened again, but differently. Okay, it wasn't that Rebecca could not have any children, period, and God made a miracle child to be their son, but he, he, there, there were twins inside of Rebecca, and God chose one of them before the two were born to be the one that he would fulfill the family line through, that he chose Jacob and not Esau. And as Paul reads that, he says um, that choosing before Jacob was born is to highlight that God's 
fulfilling a purpose here and doing a choosing, an election. That's what election means. It's a Greek word for choose. It's just don't, don't let it get too big on you there. It's just, it just means choose. God's purpose of choosing might stand so that it could be not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's why she was told the older will serve the, the younger. And as I understand it, verse 13, when Paul says, as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, it's quoting uh, Malachi um, centuries and centuries later. And I think what Paul's doing is he's saying, and this worked out in human history, okay? This worked out that God was faithful to the nation of, of Jacob, the nation of Israel, and Esau was not um, sustained. Esau ended up becoming corrupt and attacking Jacob and disappearing, and God's saying, I'm not going to sustain Esau. It's I'm going to destroy. It's going to cease to exist as a nation, but I'm going to make you... Um, exist. And so there's this way that God, even in history, is revealing that he's chosen to be faithful to to one of the twins in a different way than to the other one of the twins in order to show that it's not primarily about works, but it's about God and his purpose and his plan. So this is that section there, 6 through 13, the two examples of the patriarchs, the choosing Isaac, who was a miracle child and didn't exist when the promises came, and then the choosing of Jacob when it was two twins inside their mother's womb and neither one of them had done anything yet. This is the beginning of Paul's answer to what about Israel that's not coming to Jesus, and it's the beginning of him unpacking his argument that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until... This is a hopeful word, until the fullness of the Gentiles. They're not completely rejected. There's a time of the Gentiles coming in, and after that time is completed, then Israel's going to come in en masse and kind of complete this new people in Christ. That's how I understand what's going on here. Paul has to prove this point by point, case by case, and he wants to start off by saying, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by choosing a miracle son and making him by promise and by choosing one of the two twins to be the one who is more prominent and that is going to carry on the line of faith. And so right off the bat, we don't judge God's word by a moment in history. We come underneath God's word to understand what God does through his promises when he makes them. This is kind of the first point that I think Paul is making here. So what do we all do with this as Christians? Number one, um, we, we actually really need to humble ourselves, okay? So these are some of the most human pride, uh, humbling passages in scripture where, I mean, imagine being um, Esau and just knowing that before you were born, God said, it's not you, Esau. And I don't know if, I don't, again, I don't know if Esau was saved or not. I don't think Paul's talking about this necessarily here. I think, you know, he's, um, he's talking about how Esau was not selected to be the prominent brother in faith. And I get that. I get that. Now, it could mean that he wasn't. And I think Paul's going to take that argument to a, a different kind of place than what was going on exactly with the lives of Jacob on Esau. But um, one way or the other, like whether or not it was salvation or just service, uh, how humbling to have a prophetic word before you're born saying, it's your brother, not you. That's really humbling. And I think that's the point. Like I've been saying, this whole passage ends with a God-exalting song of praise no one can understand God's ways. No one can question his wisdom. He alone. All things come from him. 
through him and back to him. And all we can really do is humble ourselves and say, help me understand in a way that will help me to see how I can worship you and work with you in this world. So that's step one here. Those two stories of the sons of descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, both chosen, uh, not by works, but just because of the one who calls. And this helps us begin to see that God's word hasn't failed. It's actually being fulfilled, even through unlikely people being chosen. So be blessed. I hope you'll continue to read through Romans and seek to understand God's wisdom and God's glory through this passage.